Well, hey, good morning, Four Corners. How are you? You doing well? What a special day. Are you, are just, did something just happen as you were listening to that Easter offering and all the possibilities that could happen in India and Haiti? And I'm just excited to be a, be a part of something, a community of faith that cares about people and really wants to put the gospel in action. And so I know my family and I are already praying about our role in making that happen, and I'm certainly grateful that you'll be doing the same. This is a special weekend. We're blending two churches into one church, and so I think our future is really bright. It's been a wonderful week getting ministry spaces ready, and I hope you're, you're already sensing something as you're getting ready for Easter. I'm going to finish up the series today that we've been in the last couple weeks called Tongue Pierced, and we're going to start this morning where we usually end our services, because I thought it would be kind of helpful for especially for LifePoint folks this is our benediction. We, we recite this at the end of each service, and a benediction really simply is a blessing, um, but it's more than a wish. Um, it's, it's this declaration of our intention to participate in God's plans in our lives. So why don't, why don't we just say this together, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is one of the great prayers of the Old Testament leader David, and I think this is a perfect example of what we've been speaking about, that our words matter, that there's something very, very supernatural about them, something very eternal, that they last, they have the staying power, that our words have the power to please God, that what we speak is a direct reflection of the condition of our heart, that our words are shaped by our thoughts, so that when we say things, we're like, wow, where did that come from? It came out of the heart. It came out, it reflects kind of what's going on within us. So we've been challenging ourselves this series to really examine how we use speech. And today, uh, I'd like to, to kind of just keep driving that home and talk about how to use our words in a way that make an incredible impact. Speaking of impact, I want you to think with, uh, go back now in your minds, and I want you to think of someone that said something to you, and it was very, very positive. They, they used their words in such a way that it encouraged you. Can you think of, can you think of a person, hopefully you're not going too far back, but uh, maybe it was a, a teacher, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe somebody in your family, so just kind of keep reflecting for a moment. Think about that person and what they spoke to you. For me, I have, I have, the, I have several people I could think of, but the one that came to mind was when I was in kind of junior high and high school. It was my priest, Father Angelo Popowell. Isn't that a great name? And uh, I grew up in an Episcopal church, and we w attended, and it was in Walnut Hills, and there was a, there was a pretty at-risk community that surrounded our church. And so every Wednesday night, we would go and feed our neighbors. We would invite them to the church. And at times, we would go out of the church and walk around. We'd literally put chili on these, crate, on these uh, crafts. These, what am I thinking? What is this? Cart. Thank you. <laughs> sounds like, sounds like. These carts. And we would walk around Walnut Hills in the middle of Wednesday night. And I used to go with the priest, and uh, here I was, a junior high kid, walking around with them, and man, we would talk, 
with uh, the, our neighbors and, and pray with them. And I watched Ange. He just had this magnetic personality. People loved him. He had his priest collar on. It was just a very, very kind of cool thing. And, and then he would say to me, Andy, why don't you do the next one? Why don't you introduce yourself? And so this went back and forth. And boy, my, I started to love Wednesday nights. And one particular Wednesday night, as we were serving chili to a neighbor, I still remember the, exactly where we were. I could take you to the very part of the street in uh, Walnut Hills. And Ange turns to me afterwards and he says, you know, Andy, have, I, I noticed you, you really light up when we're doing this. Um, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty odd, special for a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, however old you are. He said, have you ever thought about the priesthood? Well, I didn't know anything really about the Episcopal Church. And so I, I said, shot back. I was like, hey, I love women. That's exactly what I said. I was like, I want to be married. <laughs> and he just laughed, and he's like, I, I'm married. It's okay. Episcopal priests can be married. And, and I was like, oh, whew. You know. <laughs> but then he spent the next few minutes just using his words to just call out something in my life. He said, I, I notice that you just sort of lean towards this. And have you, you know might God be calling you into ministry? And it's just amazing how that, you know, 30 years ago, I still can reflect on the power of his words. And I suspect you could tell your own story as well. So we're going to conclude today because I want to look at two ways our words leave a legacy that honor God and they honor people. Two, two ways. You'll, you'll find your own words in these phrases, but nonetheless, I want to challenge you to make a commitment this week to begin to use your words in these ways. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this first down. This is, this is the first one. This is the first one. Okay, let me back up and give you this first one. It's to use our words to bring hope and encouragement. The, the, the way that I'd love for you to use your words is to bring hope and encouragement. Now, let's look at the verse that illustrates this very point. Do not let any, what's that phrase? Unwholesome, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to whose needs? Their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. Now, it's really, really interesting. The word unwholesome means rotten. It, it means words that are unfit for use. We could stop right there and go home. That's, that's enough. Don't use your words in a way that's rotten or unfit. Can you imagine how many homes would be quiet this week? Like, why aren't mom and dad speaking? It would end Facebook. Like, there'd be hardly, like, 70% of the posts would just go away. Because there's just this way that sometimes we use our words and they're just unfit for use. They're unfit for the other person's consumption. And Paul is reorienting the priority of how we talk to each other. He's basically saying, listen, I want to challenge you to season your words with grace. I want you to think about how you speak, not for your point to be made, but for the other person's 
benefit. My grandma used to say it this way, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say anything. Don't say anything. So I was thinking about how to illustrate this, and I, and I found, uh, I was at home this week. This is our uh, Brita water filter. And this is uh, obviously a cup of water from the ice machine. And the point is, the design of this is that you take the water and you pour it in here. And then it slowly runs through the filter, drips out. And supposedly the claim is that there will be impurities that will be removed. And the water will taste better for my consumption. It'll be better for me. Now, it takes a little bit of time to, to do that. James would say, that's why you speak less. You listen more. You take your time before you respond to things. Because you want your words to run through a filter. Because when we're quick to speak, when we don't have a filter, often our words are unwholesome. The potential for sin is great. So Paul just creates a method for us to have our, wa- our words taste good for the other person. Let me give you a couple ways that happens. Let me give you some very, very particular ways that you could use your words in a wholesome manner. First, if you're taking notes, here's how you want to just kind of engage people with your words. First, ask their advice. Just be a person that says, hey, what do you think we should do here? By, by inviting people to give us their opinion, we elevate them. We say they have a role in our lives. The next one is compliment them often. Compliment them often. You know, I have never counseled a couple who has ever said to me, and you know what our problem is? My spouse compliments me all the time. It's just like so annoying. When I come home, they're like, man, honey, I really love how you do that, and I just get tired. I've never heard that. In fact, what I've heard is it seems like the compliments and the kindness have left the marriage. The next one is critique or preach sparingly. Now, we're all preachers, aren't we? You know what you ought to do? That's preaching. You know what? You know what your problem is? That you're preaching. Why don't you ever, and then fill in the blank, you're preaching. And what happens is we just do that less. The the value of the relationship, the, the, the opportunity for wholesome, beneficial conversations increase. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. So your words aren't neutral. Your words have already, they're filled with power. It's not a question of, are they powerful? They're powerful. So you can already use your words in a very healthy way or a very destructive way. And those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, let's get really personal right now. The people in your life, how might you use your words that they go, man, I love when you talk to me. I love it when you speak to me. Let's, let's even drill in a little bit. You know what I think? 
I think kids who are spoken to in the right way at the right time by their parents may make better choices with their morality. They may develop a confident sense of self-worth that's grounded in sort of biblical truth. I think a spouse who's spoken to in the right way at the right time may remain faithful to their marriage vows. And their marriage may actually thrive versus just survive. I think employees who are spoken to in the right way in the right time by their managers may perform better on the job. This is just powerful. You have that potential. Each one of us, each one of us does. Here's the second way that our words have this enduring legacy. It's when we invite, invite someone to encounter God. When we become someone who invites people to meet Jesus. Now, anytime I think is, uh, you know, anytime we experience something we enjoy, something that gives us benefit, we are inviters. It's just, any foodies in, in this place? Just three of you? Thanks. Thanks for making me feel comfortable. All right. I'm a foodie. All right. I love food. Yesterday, I was at a funeral. This is how twisted up I am. Yesterday, I was at a funeral. Everybody's upset, and it dawned on me, wow, we're really close to Nada, the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's how bad it is. I get in the car, and I go, my mom's like, man, that was really sad. I was like, that's, that is sad. Siri, where's Nada? <laughs> so I just like food, and I like inviting people to be around a great plate of food. There's just something powerful. So I'll talk a lot about food. How about movies? You got to see this movie. Oh, this movie was great. You're reading a book. Oh, you got you to check this book out or your vacation place. We are just people that when something is meaningful to us happens, is we tell other people about it. It's just natural to be an inviter and includer to the things that we find value in. Well, let me give you some of the most uh, powerful words in the New Testament. These words of invitation. Here they are. Come and see. Come and see. Love that. The story of, of where these words happened is in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. And this is with John the Baptist and Jesus and some of John's Disciples. John had his own disciples. Jesus was just beginning to form his earthly ministry. And this is John in chapter 30 of, of 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by and he said, Look! The Lamb of God! And of course, everybody's like, whoop! They turned and they looked at him. And the story goes on. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And I love that. I just, I would love to have been here. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Why are you stalking me? Kind of thing. And they said, Rabbi. So they're showing some reverence and respect to Jesus, which means teacher. Where are you staying? And in this Jesus, in his wisdom, he sees curiosity and he says, oh, I, I think I've got an opportunity. I think I've got an opportunity. So he does this next. 
This is Jesus speaking. And he says what? Come. And you'll see. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you come and check it out? You want to know where I stay? Why don't you come? Why don't you come and see? So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. Wouldn't you have loved to have just hung around Jesus for the day? It was about four in the afternoon, so they had spent some majority of time with Jesus. Now, we don't know what they're saying, what's going on, but I imagine they're talking about the kingdom. They're talking about things of faith. They're using their words in very deep, meaningful ways. Maybe Andrew, who was one of the disciples, is telling his story. And Jesus is listening for his benefit. Because he knows, I'm connected here, something's happening. And I know that this person matters to my father, therefore he matters to me. I'm going to use my words purposefully. So then it continues, verse 40. Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And then it continues. Now watch this. He gets done, and what's the first thing Andrew does? He gets in a Bible study and huddles up with five other believers. Uh Uh-uh. No, he doesn't. The first thing Andrew did was he found his brother. And then he says this. We have found him. We have found the one we've been waiting for. The one that we've searched our whole lives for. It's Jesus. And then he takes his brother and he says, I I want you to meet this guy. I want you to meet him. I don't even think Andrew at this time had all his theology figured out. I don't even know where he was on the spectrum of understanding who Jesus was. But he knew something was stirred in him. So he said, I can't just contain this within myself. I've got to give this away. And he thought of people who were in need, including his very brother. The story continues. Then he comes, so Peter comes. Now Jesus uses his words. Jesus looked at him and said, this is to his brother. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So now he says, listen, I'm going to rename you. I'm going to speak into your life, and I'm going to identify, I'm going to tell you, you matter. And the story, as we know, changes in Peter's life, and we're in this room because of that conversation and the people that were transformed that day. Andrew never wrote a gospel like Matthew did. He never evangelized an entire city like Philip or preached sermons like Paul. But what did he do? He simply invited people to meet Jesus. He was an inviter. You know, when my kids get an invitation to a birthday party, that's a great day at the Ransdale house because they're excited. Can I, can I just submit to you? It's a great day when we invite our friends to meet with God. It's a great, it's an awkward thing for us. It's a weird thing for our words, but it's a great day. 
Because see, if we see ourselves playing a role in inviting people to encounter God, it changes how we pray. It really does. It will change how we go to the lacrosse field. It will change how we see our cousins. It will change how we even interpret our own problems. It will change how we feel about the people in our lives. Because we now see ourselves as an inviter, as an includer, as someone who's on a mission. There's a... uh, a, uh, in, in Massachusetts, there's a uh, museum there for the Humane Society, or the Human Society. I'm not exactly sure how, to, how they've pronounced it. You might know that better than me. But it's a, a society that still stands today, and it's, it's a nonprofit society that offers grants to the programs and reward services for those who prevent drowning or water-related injuries. What's interesting about these people is their history. In the 1700s, there was a group of people from Nantucket Island in Massachusetts that were were very concerned about sea travel and the reoccurring uh, reality that people were crashing on the rocks around Nantucket. They were drowning. So a group of volunteers with no relationship to those who were traveling decided to build these huts of refuge. And they would staff them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to keep watch on the coastline. And if a ship wrecked, they devoted themselves to going out to rescue those people who were on board. Their mission statement was this. You have have to go out, but you don't have to come back. How would you like that to be our mission at 4C? You have to go out. You may not come back, though. Well, eventually, the government would federalize that program, and we would know that as the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard came to these people, and they took over, and they said, it's time to let the professionals do it. But the society couldn't stop meeting. So what they do now is they've just morphed into a life-saving training organization. They talk about life-saving. They read about life-saving. They celebrate people who go out and do life-saving. They just don't life-save themselves. They're not in that business anymore. They're personally no longer involved. And as I heard that story, I thought a lot about the nature of church. I don't know how this happens or why, but there's just this gravitational pull within me, as might be within you, that the more we seem to be in communities of faith, the less we are in the life-saving business. We sing about it. We talk about people like Andrew. We're concerned about people out there who are shipwrecked. But are we involved? Are we taking responsibility because I think the churches that that most reflect the heart of their heavenly father resemble huts of refuge 
They're just filled with people who never stop going out on a search mission for anyone who is not yet connected to God. They just never stop inviting people to join them, to have a seat. You uh, watched that video, and you probably thought of some people who are thirsty. Here's the, here's the question for C. What would it look like to use your words to meet that deep thirst in their soul? They might even know how thirsty they are. They might be medicating it with drugs and alcohol and success and their kids. But I suspect you know, you know, that there's a God in heaven that deeply loves them who desires that they're connected to him. And he might be sending you out. You might be That might be the whole reason you know them, so that you can give them a drink. So, look in your uh, program for a minute. There's two invite cards. Would you pull these out? I just, uh, I want to challenge you this week. I think this is, this is the challenge for this week as we head into the Easter week is to just simply find two people to give these out to. They might be people that we know. It might be the barista that makes our coffee. It could be the person that cuts our hair. It could be that long-standing family member that you've invited, and they they just seem to blow it off, and they laugh. I invited my neighbors for three years to Easter. And every year they said no, and every year they thought I was strange. I would send my kids over with invitation cards. I was saying, you can't reject a kid, and they rejected the kids. But then they started attending. Here's here's what I know, and here's what I I don't know. I don't know if you give this invitation, if you say, hey, would you like to find a seat with me at Easter? Would you like to sit with me? I don't know if they'll say yes. I really don't. don't, That's not for us to know. But here's what you can count on. You will be glad you used your words that way.
And I believe there will be a day in heaven when we celebrate invitations. Invitations. When like Andrew, something has stirred in us and we go share it with other people. So that's our challenge, is to use our words to invite people to encounter God, to give hope and encouragement where it's needed. Why don't you take a moment and pull out your, uh, your Connect cards. I want to give you a couple next steps. And I can't think of a better next step today than for me to share my Savior with you. And say, today might be your day to settle the question of kind of where's my eternity? Who is Jesus? He's no longer a category. He's now personal. He's my forgiver. He's the leader of my life. We call that being born again. If you'd like to make that decision today, all you have to do is check that first box. Just as an indication of saying, today is the day I am inviting Christ to be my Savior. Not just a Savior. He's my Savior. Check box A. The next is something that's very, very special. It's, it's being baptized. It's being immersed. We're, next, we're going to do this next week here at Four Corners during one of the services. If you've not been baptized, we'd love to baptize you. So just check box B, and we'll follow up with you, and we'll find out what service you want to be baptized in, but don't miss Easter weekend as we celebrate all the new life that's happening in our community. Step C, I think this is really powerful. The Bible talks about this hiding the Word in us, and just as it means bringing it in and using it as a tool. So this is just the choice that says, you know, I'm going to memorize this verse. So you could be checking multiple steps this week. But I'm going to make this my step, is I'm going to be memorizing this verse so that each day when I wake up and I'm in these conversations, I'm going to go, this is an opportunity for my words to honor God. So if you would do that, if you'd go on a, a desire to, to memorize that verse, check box C. Then D... Hey, you know what, Andy? I, I know. I, as soon as I saw that video, I knew who I needed to invite. I'm going to be inviting two people to Easter. Or, I don't know who I'm inviting. I'm just open to kind of God-creating opportunities. So check box D. We're going to be praying for you this week as you are an inviter, you're an includer. But check that box if you plan to be doing that. And let me challenge you. If you're a Christ follower and you don't want to be an inviter, that just doesn't reconcile with the Jesus that you say you follow. And you've got to wrestle with that one. You've got to figure that out. Because I suspect if you traced your story, somebody invited you. It's just the essence of who Jesus is and who his followers are. They are inviters and includers. So check that box. Step out of that comfort zone. Say, I'm open to doing it. And then lastly, because we expect this room to be packed, we just want to be able to serve you well. So if you're going to be coming to a particular service, would you mind telling us which one and how many seats you need? 
Again, if you tend to come to a later service, here's just would be very helpful if you'd come to the 8 o'clock or the noon. That would really help us. We expect lots of guests at that middle service. But certainly come to the one that you need to. But that's just a kind of an inner uh, family little matter of business. But would you tell us how many seats you, you'll need and what service? What a great day today. Lots to celebrate. How about we pray? Father, uh, we sense kind of in this moment as we wrap up this series that you have empowered us to use our words in incredible ways. And that um, the tongue that we have has the ability to speak words of life. And I'm praying for the conversations that we'll have, the invitations that we'll be extending this week. I pray we have to reach out to Matthew and say, you've got to go print more cards because we've already given them all out. And I pray that as our church comes together, as two churches come together this week, we celebrate around communion we would begin to mark this moment as the beginning of an incredible journey together that reaches beyond us and into our community, into our families, into soccer fields, into schools, into workplaces with the gospel. And we'd be able to provide real love now with everything that we say and everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. At this point in the service, would you go ahead and stand up?